Let's just pray again together as we come and gather around the word. Lord, we thank you that as we gather around your word, that as we so often pray, it is your living word, the living word of the living God for us, your living people. And Lord, this morning we open ourselves up to hear from you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that as we sit and as we gather around this word of truth, that you would speak into our hearts, that we would put all of our distractions to one side and we would press in to your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's really good to be back preaching again this morning. Um, a lot of people couldn't believe that I didn't ask somebody else to preach, but it's actually been the longest period of time since I've been a pastor that I haven't preached. This would have been week number four. So I decided, do you know what? I'll just preach. So if I'm a little rusty and I'm a little rough around the edges, there's a lot of grace for that, isn't there? There's a lot of God's grace for that. And even saying that, as I look around the congregation this morning, I see a number of my colleagues who are much more qualified and much more eloquent than me. And maybe the folks are at McGeehan are going, well, if he's here or if she's here, what are you doing up there? But you know what? I believe that God is going to speak to us this morning. I believe that God is in this. As I sat just where Claire was, Claire is sitting right now, as I sat there last night as Pastor Jacob was preaching the word, I heard that still small voice say the dreaded word that every preacher dreads. Sammy, you need to change what you're saying in the morning. I was expecting the ministers to laugh, but they didn't. Said you need to change what you're saying this morning. And it is still around that main theme, that main central text that Gary read for us. But last week we started a new series called Conversations with Jesus. And Pastor Joanne looked at the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus for us. And this is a series that's going to run right up. We're not talking about Nicodemus until Easter, but we are going to be looking at these conversations that Jesus has in the Gospel of John right through and including Easter Sunday. And we're going to be exploring some of these conversations, as I said, from the Gospel of John. This, this book was written, Paul, uh, John tells us in John 20 and 31, that he wrote this book for a purpose. And as he wrote this book, he said, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This book was written that we might believe the truth about Jesus, that he is everything that he says that he is, and so much more, that he is everything that pastors up and down the country and right throughout the world proclaim on a Sunday morning that he is, and so much more. That there is hope in his name. That indeed hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. And if you've been around the district assembly this past weekend, 
you will know that our theme for the weekend is this. That God is still. Dot, dot, dot. Not that God is still. But God is still. And on Monday, uh, on, sorry, on Friday evening, we looked at how God is still moving. And last night, Pastor Jacob shared with us how God is still sovereign. And Gary read to us earlier in the service something that God still is. God still is. Jesus still is the bread of life. And whilst in this series, Conversations with Jesus, whilst in this series we are going to consider a conversation between Jesus and other people, we're also going to consider today as part of that, the text that we read, but also a conversation between Jesus and a man which never actually took place. We're going to look at a conversation between Jesus and a man which has serious implications for you and for me. But it is a conversation which had no words. It is a conversation which actually has no written account of. Yet it still manages to be a conversation which would indeed change the course of history forever. But before we get there, I wonder if you cast your mind to some of the conversations which have changed your life for the better. As I say that, what yeah, you think of some conversations, there's maybe a few different conversations that you've had down through the years that come flooding back to you. Conversations that you think of right away. Some of these conversations might have happened by accident. They might have happened completely out of the blue and caught you by surprise and you walked away from them and you thought, wow, I never wanted that to end. So I know I've never heard anybody say that after one of my sermons. Right? Wow, I never wanted that to end. Significant moments where you knew straight away that something significant had taken place. Or maybe as you reflect on that question in your mind, what conversations have impacted you most? Maybe your mind is drawn to instances where conversations perhaps didn't seem to be significant whenever they happened. But as you look back now, you think to yourself, if only I knew then what I know now. When I think of significant conversations in my life, and there have been a number of them, my mind goes to three or four different places straight away. It goes to the dining room of our family home in Lorne, where as a teenager, I sat on one end of the table and my dad sat on the other and we burned the midnight oil, talking about the things of God, talking about the call of God and exploring that together. Those conversations that I now recognize to be life-forming and life-giving and transformative. My mind also goes to a wee petrol station just outside Cookstown. New Year's Eve night, where I'm sat with my good friend, the Reverend Gary Law, in a car, asking him about a wee girl in this congregation and whether he thinks I should ask her out. I did. 
It was a good decision. He said, he said you'd be silly not to. But my mind's also drawn to a wee beach in St Andrews in Scotland where I was sat on a bench making what was perhaps the most terrifying call in all my life as I FaceTimed my father-in-law and asked him for his daughter's hand in marriage. And it was a short conversation. Yes, that's fine. And then neither of us knew what to do. So we started talking about how Man United's tactics against Liverpool earlier in the day were weak. And how Jose Mourinho was too defensive. And then I went, okay, great, thanks very much, bye. But my mind's also drawn to this church in March 2015, long before I was the pastor of this church. And to the night that I received my first district minister's license in the Church of the Nazarene. And I remember afterwards my pastor, who was also at that time the district superintendent, turning to me afterwards and saying, Sammy, remember this is just a piece of paper. Remember it's just a piece of paper. You need to continue to live your life in a way that is worthy of the calling placed on you. Because that's far more important than anything any piece of paper can say. Words which nearly word for word he reminded me at my ordination service at the start of last year as well. But as Jesus has this conversation in John chapter 6 with a crowd that he had only the day before fed with only five loaves and two fishes and still had 12 baskets of crumbs left over, it was likely one of those instances where the significance of the conversation at that time was lost on the crowd that had gathered. Jesus said these words. Jesus answered very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. This large crowd, 5,000 plus have only the day before been fed with what I recently heard, as recently as last night, heard described as a Galilean happy meal, right? I think that's great. It was a Galilean happy meal. It was five loaves and two fishes. It was a wee boy's lunch, which a carpenter from Nazareth prayed over and somehow everyone had their fill and there was still stuff left over. And after they've tracked him down the next day, Basically, Jesus has ran away from them. It's not that Jesus has had enough of them. It's just that he's weary. He needs a wee lie down. But after they finally track him down, it's as though Jesus turns to them and says, you're only here because of what happened yesterday. You're only here because of what happened yesterday. You're only here because of what you think that I can give you. You're only here because the food prices in Galilee are through the roof. And you know that at some point today, you're going to get hungry. And you're hoping that I'll do for you today what I did for you yesterday. In essence, Jesus turns to the crowd and he says to them, you're only here because of what I can give you. And even then, you don't grasp the significance and life transforming reality 
of what I can actually give you. You're here that I might give you some bread. And you don't actually realize the irony of what you're asking. Verses 35 to 40 says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those, none of those he has given me, but raise them on the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them at the last day. I wonder if you've ever heard the phrase, silence is golden. As I became a father, I actually would query that and say silence is trouble. But silence is golden. And as we park the thought of Jesus as the bread of life for a moment and ponder those life-transforming, realigning words of Jesus, you'll perhaps remember how I earlier mentioned a significant conversation that never was. How can it be a significant conversation if it didn't actually happen? On Palm Sunday, my pastor, the Reverend Philip McAllister, is going to be here and he's going to talk a little bit about the conversation that Jesus has with Pilate. And I'm not going to steal away from what he's going to say, but tangled up in the conversation between Pilate and Jesus is someone who the movie buffs would refer to as a side character. Somebody who's embroiled in the story and is a significant part of the story, but doesn't actually appear to be any, any way significant at the time. The individual of which I'm about to speak is mentioned nowhere else in scripture apart from these stories. He has no lines. He appears to be an interruption. And you would not be wrong to read the account and think, why on earth is he even mentioned? The truth is, we don't know much about this man named Barabbas. All we know is that he was a rebel. He was a leader of a rebellion. He was a murderer. And that he found himself on death row for the crimes that he had committed against the Roman Empire. Jesus is being tried in Pilate's court. And Pilate, finding no fault in Jesus, tries to pull a fast one over the Jewish people. And he pulls on a Jewish tradition to try and bail Jesus out. You see, Pilate knew that on a holy day it was customary that the Jews could set free a prisoner who found himself or herself on death row. So he's thinking to himself that it's a no-brainer. 
Pilate says to the people, who do you want? Who do you want? Do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? The reality is that he's asking these people who were gathered and they would have known what he was meaning here. They're going, do you want me to release Jesus? The one who opens blind eyes. The one who restores. The one who forgives. The one who gives women their rightful place. Who delivers the oppressed and opens the ears of the deaf. Do you want the one who heals the leper and cares for the poor and the needy? Or do you want the murderer? Do you want the terrorist? Do you want the scum of the earth? Who do you want? All the while, Jesus stands on this platform. And he stands silent. He stands silent not because he had nothing to say. He didn't stand silent because he's guilty. You ever had somebody call you out and you know they're right so you just look down and you have nothing to say? It wasn't one of those instances. Jesus stands silent on the platform. Not because he had no defense, but because he was and because he is the bread of life on whom the Father has placed his seal of approval. He stood silent for he knew the will of God. He stood silent for he knew that he would be the food that endures to eternal life and would give eternal life to all who would believe and trust in his name for the forgiveness of their sins. By this stage, Barabbas, who's over here, Barabbas is likely on the platform with Jesus. And I wonder, can you picture that scene for a moment? Jesus, the miracle worker from Nazareth, the son of the living God, God in human form. And Barabbas, the murderer, the terrorist. And Pilate in the middle. Endure the crowd. He goes, who do you want? Who do you want me to set free? Give us Barabbas, the crowd cried. Give us Barabbas. There is no way, there is no way that Barabbas is thinking to himself in these moments that he is going to be walking free. There is no way that he could have thought that whenever he saw Jesus, whose reputation went before him, he must have thought to himself, my luck is out. There is no way. There is no way I am getting free today. I will be dead tomorrow. There is no way that Barabbas would have thought that he stood a chance. And Pilate, the instigator, he didn't think Barabbas stood a chance either. And that's why he did it. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew. I love this quote from Pastor Judas Smith about this scene that takes place on the platform. He says, Jesus stood there silent for he knew the will of the Father. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. And I don't know how we're going to feel about this. But I'm Barabbas. 
I am Barabbas. We are Barabbas. You see, Jesus died the death that Barabbas should have died. And whilst Barabbas was a real person with real crimes and a debt of sin that he himself could not pay, Barabbas is representative of me. Barabbas is representative of you. Barabbas represents us. Barabbas is a a biblical picture of fallen humanity. And he stood on the platform with Jesus and he must have thought he was a complete and utter goner. Only for Jesus to pay the debt that he deserved. And the scripture tells us plainly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But Jesus also tells us in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. Church, this morning, Jesus, the bread of life, says to us, stop striving. So stop trying to do it yourself. He says, Sammy, stop trying to do it yourself. He says, stop striving. He says, your debt is paid. Your debt is paid. You are mine. I took your place. Come to me. Let me be your source. Let me be your salvation. Let me be your sustenance. Stop trying to set yourself free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Church. This has not been a groundbreaking message this morning. I am aware of that. But I sense that the Spirit of God just wants to remind us that He is enough. Wants to remind us that Jesus is enough. That Jesus, the bread of life, says to us, stop going to stuff that's a quick fix. Stop going to stuff that doesn't last. Stop chasing the benefits of the cross and start walking the way of the cross. Stop coming to me for what I can give you and start coming to me for who I am. For I will give you so much more and I am able to do so much more than you could ever ask, think or imagine. And I don't know about you, but I have a pretty big imagination. Jesus is enough. He's always been enough. And he will always be enough. And he says to us, church, stop 
striving. Stop trying to do it yourself. The Pope and McGee, though I don't like instruction manuals very much, although on Friday I was crying out for an instruction manual, trying to get hand sanitizer things attached to the wall and working. You'll notice that we're on the bottles. It didn't happen. But as the people of God, we have an awful reputation sometimes for knowing what Jesus says to do and just ignoring it. And just doing whatever we want. And then saying our prayers. And going, Lord, we just pray that you bless that. Jesus gives very clear instructions. When he calls himself the bread of life, he says, don't go to the bread that spoils, but come to the bread that will give everlasting life. Don't try and find your sustenance elsewhere. Don't try and find your sustenance in the things of the world. Don't try and find your sustenance in your spouse. Don't try and find your sustenance in your family, in your kids. Don't try and find your sustenance in your friends, in your work, in your career, in your car, or in your house. I am enough. Find your sustenance in me. For whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst again. Church, his blood is sufficient for our salvation. His blood is sufficient to sustain us and to guide us through the trials, temptations, the ups and the downs of life, through the sins and through the challenges that we face. And this morning, Jesus, the bread of life, invites each one of us afresh to simply come and to sup with him, to sit with him. To buy this feet. To take of the bread that he provides. The bread of life. His body which was broken. For you and for me. And as you came in today, I hope that you were given one of these wee communion kits. And if you weren't, I'm sure that Karen or somebody at the back would be able to get you one if you raise your hand. And you're still in need of one. But right now, in response, we're not going to do an altar call. Although if you want to come to the altar, you're very welcome. We're not even going to run and rush straight to the closing song. But together, we're going to partake of the bread of life. Together, we are going to sup with King Jesus. We're going to remember that we were stood on that platform with us, with him. And then he turned to us and he said, go free, son. Go free, daughter. That he paid the debt of sin that we owed, but we could not pay on our own. So I know they're fussly. Do your fussling now. Get them open. Benjamin's just going to come and he's going to play softly in the background. But as we partake together in this meal, 
Let us remember that Jesus, the bread of life, is our source. The old hymn says that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. As we come and we partake of this meal together, let us remember what it represents. Let us remember the hope that it brings. Let us rejoice together that our debt has been paid that the perfect, spotless, blameless Lamb of God laid down his life so that we could go free. There is no record in Scripture of Barabbas turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now. Thank you. There's no record of that. And his character doesn't really lend to it. But right now, in this moment, perhaps we could turn to Jesus and say, thank you. I owe you everything now. And as we take together of this wafer, which symbolizes his body, which was broken, let us eat and be thankful, knowing that we need not be hungry ever again. Let us eat. And be thankful. Let us drink together. We're able to stand and let us drink together as a sign of our unity. That as we have personally said, Jesus, I owe you everything, let us drink together as a sign of our commitment as the people of God, not in isolation, but together, following Him and walking in the path that He has laid out for us step with his spirit, full of his goodness. Let us drink together.
Jesus for years. Today's still a good day to renew that calling of life. Maybe you've just started following Jesus recently. 
Today's a good day to get serious about it. And maybe you're not following Jesus at all. The scripture tells us not only is he the bread of life, but he is also the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through him. And it also tells us, and this is good news, today is the day of salvation. And Lord, we praise you for who you are. We praise you for the love that you lavish upon us. And Lord, we praise you that you stood silent as you were accused because you knew that the Father would need to treat you like we deserve so that we could be free. Help us walk in that freedom, Lord. And help us each day to return to you, the source, the bread of life for sustenance. That we may grow in Christ-likeness and walk in the calling that you have given to each one of us as sons and as daughters. And we pray these things in that beautiful, powerful, wonderful name above every other name, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen.